Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to DraftKings Network. All right, excited to finally make this happen. Bo Allen joining the podcast here, uh, former NFL Wisconsin D tackle. You hear him all the time over on the Greenlight Pod. Uh, Bo, what's going on, man? What's up, man? Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. Definitely. It's a good follow-up. We just had, uh, we were talking off air. Kyle Rudolph came on yesterday and told the story a while back. You guys are down in the same area about how he saw you out running in like American flag shorts, shirtless, white sunglasses (laughs) on. You were an entire vibe. I think I was rollerblading, actually. Yeah, maybe oh, some high it. socks. That's <laughs> yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, so I, I live right off of uh, Bayshore Boulevard down here in beautiful Tampa and run into Kyle a lot. We train together at uh, a gym and stuff like that, so I saw him this morning, but uh, not as quite a, not quite as much fun as that other interaction, that's for sure. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a beautiful vibe. Rollerblade. I'm always upset that I haven't gone back to rollerblading. I grew up doing it a lot as a kid when we lived in Arizona because everything was flat, and they yeah. even had rolled sidewalks so you could get up and down on everything. It's a great hobby, and you look cool as hell doing it no matter what. It's a vibe, man, exactly. I actually, um, for the, we had a man pageant my senior year in high school, and I did like an aggressive rollerblading thing <laughs> where they bolted a, a rail into the into the stage, and I like did little tricks and stuff. I didn't win the man pageant, so it must, must not have been that good, but it was pretty fun. Wait, what's a man pageant? Is it exactly what I'm imagining? It's pretty much what, you, I think you'd thrive as a man pageant contestee, uh, but it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's just a pageant for men. Uh, it was like the big event for the seniors when I was in high school at Minnetonka High School in Minnesota, so it was a pretty good time. Damn, and you got up on stage and full on. So had that been you through high school? You were just a guy crushing it on rollerblades, grinding <laughs> your would- way through life? Not really. My sister is seven years younger than me, and she's uh, she and her friends would do these things that are like cul-de-sac growing up called like Blade Fridays, and they would just rollerblade around. And I had a, some aggressive rollerblades from like my hockey days. You know, I feel like everyone our age went through like a either like a rollerblading, like aggressive rollerblading, or like a skateboarding phase. You know, a skate park phase basically, and so. Yeah, I, that's how I got the idea um, to do the man pageant talent portion. And I don't honestly, I don't think I was that good. <laughs> was there were there other portions outside of the talent portion in the pageant? Like what yeah, else did the, you guys have to do? There was a fashion show um, and I actually dressed up as Jake Sully in avatar form. So I like <laughs> had like a wig and like a lot. I honestly I underestimated the amount of blue body paint that I would need. And it came out so shitty and splotchy. Um, I kind of had like a little loincloth on. It was it was funny. 
<laughs> like I said, cr- did not win the man pageant. <laughs> so I don't know if it was the rollerblading or the blue paint, but between those two, couldn't get it done. Wasn't for lack of effort. I did the same calculus <laughs> one year when I wanted to try and be Thanos for Halloween because I had already gone full bald at that point. And yeah. I just stared at the sizes that they sold purple paint in and realized unless I wanted to ruin the next eight hours of my life, that probably wasn't going to happen. So you went all yeah. in at least. Yeah, I did. I mean, I didn't bring home the trophy, though, so I don't know if it was worth it or not. Did you do roller hockey as a kid? Like, I went through that phase hardcore when I was growing up in Arizona. I was in first grade or second grade and played with a bunch of fourth graders, and we thought we were hot stuff in the neighborhood, so we decided to do one of the actual roller hockey tournaments that rolled through. Had it all set up. These teams came with full jerseys, everything, and we got our asses so thoroughly (laughs) kicked by these kids and basically stopped playing after that because we realized we were just completely out of our league. Yeah. I was a hockey guy growing up, actually, in Minnesota. I didn't play football till like, seventh or eighth grade. And so hockey was always the, the sport. I played up with my brothers, and my, with my older brother, and that was that was what we did. It was great. Damn. So um, we, we, we just play out, out back pond hockey um, in the winter and stuff like that. I'm sure you didn't have that in Arizona, but uh, it's a lot of fun. Actually, man. Arizona was the only place I played ice hockey. Like, at that point in my, ki- oh, really? in my childhood – I wanted to grow up and be a pro hockey player. Me and my brother would go play all the time. The discouraging thing, and I'd be curious for you, because I'd imagine like me, you were a bigger kid, is back then mm. they were very strict on what you could do as far as hitting people. So me and my younger brother just spent all of our time in the penalty box, and we were like, this is dumb. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. I like that. They were they let us play pretty pretty good. I mean, I was I was highly penalized too, but my favorite thing was like sit in front of the net, tip pucks, block, screen the goalie. Um Played some defense, too. Some rippers from the blue line, you know. Uh, I was never a great hockey player, but I I loved it. My dad still plays, actually, like two or three times a week, which is impressive. Damn, that's peak Minnesota right there. Yeah, he he plays in, like, outdoor. You're familiar with uh, Lake Minnetonka a little bit through Kyle, probably. Um, But he his big bragging point last year was they won the, like, men's – whatever age division he's in i won't say it on air <laughs> but uh he they won that uh league or whatever a couple of years ago on lake minnetonka outdoor um pond hockey so pretty sweet i guess and i'd imagine that's pretty competitive too because again hockey minnesota everybody yeah. gets it so that's one, a big deal. one off season i strapped it up with him and his guys he's like always convincing me to go and hadn't skated in years and i got fucking worked man it was oh. humbling because <laughs> i'm like hey, i'm a professional athlete like oh, i got this he'll be fine and i got worked it was sad. <laughs> I was going to say, so you were full D tackle size at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wait, speaking of that, so you said you're working out with Kyle. I see the pictures yeah. all over the internet now. You're Jack, dude. What's, how's it feel oh, man, to get to just, shed all the playing yeah, weight? You know how it is. You're buttering me up, man. Yeah, I've lost uh, lost like 60 pounds since wow. my you know my heaviest. Uh, still sitting at 280. But uh, it's it's – I mean, you know how it is, man. You get done playing and you're – it's like a whole new world. You got to figure out how to live as a as a as a muggle. <laughs> That's what we call the non athletes in college. Um, we call them narps, but same basic yeah, concept. Exactly. Uh, yeah, we we had narps too, or else nafs, which is not as friendly of a term, but um, <laughs> non athletic. Uh, you can fill in the blank, but. Um, <laughs> It's uh, it's different, man. I actually one guy who was really influential and helped me kind of get down from my playing weight is Joe Thomas, who's a Wisconsin guy. He has this um, pretty hardcore keto and intermittent fasting program that he set me up with, and it was he sent me a note like on my on the iPhone like notes app that was like one of the most detailed 
pieces of literature I've ever read and really uh, routine based, you know, eating and supplementation and stuff like that. So I did that for a couple months and it was great. Um, but yeah, man, just trying to see how much farther I can get down. I don't, I don't know how it's, how it's going to go, man. I'm a breach this new set point, but we'll, we'll continue working that. Well, I was going to ask, were you like, you were a naturally bigger guy. So was it difficult for you at first to let it shed off? Cause like I always struggled to keep it on. So when I was done, yeah. I just have the calorie count and weight started falling off. What was it like yeah. for you? Yeah, it was definitely hard. I mean, I've been 300 plus pounds since, uh, you know, probably like my sophomore year of high school, like 16 years old. Um, Always, I feel like guys, linemen, typically fall into two categories, right? Where they, you know, they're in your camp where they really have to work to put it on and it uh, kind of sheds naturally afterwards or else like me where naturally super heavy and need to do the opposite. So it was definitely a grind. Had to change my lifestyle a lot. Uh, the biggest thing is like you just get so accustomed to needing calories throughout the season. Like for me, early in the season, you're kind of in your best shape, you know? And then yep. as the season progresses, like you're, you get so beat up, you almost – you know, you're not really able to train as much because of nagging injuries from the, you know, from playing and you feel like kind of skinny fat <laughs> at the end of the yep. year. So you just like try to yep. get calories in just to, you know, maintain your, uh, your weight and stuff like that. So definitely had to relearn a lot of, uh, <laughs> you know, or recreate a lot of new habits and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's a, it's a lifestyle thing now, Mike, it's not, uh, you know, being 340 pounds, you don't see a lot of 70 year old, you know, 340 pound guys walking around. So trying to trying to look out for future Bo a little bit. Yeah, no, trying to pay it forward to the uh, to the future less big guy, I, which I totally get. That's the hardest part, though, is you do get used to kind of to just operate however you want, reach for whatever you want at any point in time, and oh, yeah. so now every every time i do it the repercussions feel more and more severe i <laughs> yeah. like between between the heartburn and feeling like a fat ass both of those things hit a lot harder now yeah. than they did at 25 <laughs> exactly and i'm oh. a candy addict dude like uh we talked about this on you know the green light pot that i go on, but like i love candy and uh you know big time sugar sweet tooth stuff like that love trying out different new candies like a little fucking kid and so I was joking that I cut down my candy consumption for like a month and lost 60 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, as someone who just threw out my leftover Halloween candy, I get it. <laughs> like, Good for you, man. I'm scooping up Easter candy bargains. <laughs> I know. That's the worst part is now every time I go out after the major holiday, we had to get through Valentine's Day before and then Easter now. It's all those discount kind signs at oh, Walgreens yeah. just staring me in the face, trying me. Oh, yeah. Wait, speaking of, speaking of candy... I saw uh, you tweet this the other day, and I needed to get the background on this. Okay. Cereal is always something that comes up on this podcast. You said oh, yeah. cereal is breakfast candy. Changed my mind. <laughs> is that a compliment or is that a slight to cereal? I wasn't sure. Uh, I'm a candy lover, so that's a good thing, you know. Right. But like, I was—I think I was eating some um, some CTC. We call oh, them the yeah. Allen household. Some cinnamon toast crunch. I was like, just you know how it is. You got a box of cereal, and you just look at the back, you know. And I was looking at the nutrition label and I was like, man, this shit is just candy. Like this is just breakfast candy. So nothing like starting your day out with some candy to get, get going, get that energy to have a you know nice productive day. Cereal and muffins are the two greatest cons <laughs> because muffins are another one. You see them and you think of them as like this whole grain balanced thing. Right. But then again, you check the nutrition label on the back and it's like, oh yeah, if I'm getting like a blueberry muffin, I'm basically eating breakfast cake and it's yeah. the same concept. And juice is just sugar water. Oh, you know, that's another one too. Whoever's been branding big juice is out there convincing everyone it's healthy, but it's just sugar water. 
Yep, 100%. And it's worked. It's still to this day. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just getting my source of fruit here mixed up in this jar. Totally fine. Totally <laughs> yeah. plays. I am health conscious now. And then you go to a little, like, acai bowl spot and get a fresh juice for 12 bucks, and you're just like, oh, man. What am, yeah. I, what am I doing? I care. Well, I mean, I live in California now, so I'm required to do that or else I get evicted. That was the, <laughs> yeah, num exactly. the number one thing everyone asked me on the way when I moved out here was, are you vegan now? And do you just have juice every day? And the answer is yes to one and not yet to the other, but I won't <laughs> yeah. rule it out. Who knows, man? Slow conversion for you. Exactly. It'll, uh, it'll all work its way there eventually. Um, I did want to ask you, because I heard you guys talking the other day about some of your favorite defensive tackles coming up in the draft, and you listed you know some of the ones, like everyone's had the discussion about uh, Jalen Carter, uh, Kalijah Yancey from Pitt, who you guys yeah. talked about, you know, yeah, Brian Brzee, all these dudes, mm. and, and listed the pros and cons. I was just curious for you, because I, I had this realization the other day, for me, watching other positions getting ready for the draft is always hard. Like, I was mm. watching wide receivers, and I was bored to tears because yeah. nothing ever happens 90% of the plays for those guys. I could see why they're always pissed off for not getting the ball, but it's also like I didn't live the ins and outs of that position nearly as much, so I don't appreciate as many of the little nuances. Exactly. Like, for you, when you watch D-line guys – either for the draft or you're just sitting around now on Sundays watching dudes. Like what are the things that you look for in a D lineman that you like? Yeah. Well, I mean, it is so interesting. Cause like how I was as a player is not a flashy guy. So that's why I like watching, you know, Cancy from Pitt is cause he is so explosive and he gets, you know, the green light to kind of do whatever at times and just go make plays, which I never had as a, you know, first down, <laughs> second down guy. It's you grind your ass off on first down, second down, get the team like third and eight, you know, and then running my ass to the sideline. Um, so I always had to live within a scheme. And so I love watching dudes like that. But it's it's interesting, man, because you know how it is when you're evaluating interior offensive and defensive linemen, especially the things you're looking at are so nuanced and, and you know, like stuff like hand placement or like, a, you know, an initial first yeah. step or even just a guy like how he deals with unexpected contact, you know, like his core strength is something that I think is is super, super important for you know um interior offensive defensive line play and that's kind of not stuff that like shows up on tape uh outwardly unless you really know what you're looking for so like sometimes when I'm breaking film down you know for a podcast or for media stuff or you know even just talking to my buddies it's like you know buddies that haven't played football you, you need to explain some of the minutia of uh you know o-line d-line play because it's not stuff that's you know necessarily really evident and a lot of times too is like you don't know what guys are being asked to do in the scheme yeah so i always you know like brzee for example from clemson i didn't i might not be as high on him as some other players because a lot of his production comes from you know blitzing and stunts and different loop stunts and pass rush stunts and things like that so it, it can be hard to evaluate guys um you know, how, how they might be in like a one-on-one -on -one setting on third down because of the scheme they ran in in college. Or maybe they are, uh, I'm trying to think of a guy from a smaller school who's just, you know, so much more talented than his competition. And they're just bodying out here, bodying guys yeah. um, because they're playing like D2 ball and, you know, aren't going up against the same guys that they will on Sunday. But uh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if it's this way for you, but when I'm watching a game, it's, it's weird because I'm like so locked in on like, the, you know, the center, the nose guard, the, you know, the interior uh, line play that like, I'm not really following the ball as much. So it's, yep. you got to kind of coach yourself to, um, you know, to open up your view and look at, you know, look at the defensive back end or, 
get out of your comfort zone and, and evaluate wide receivers like you're talking about. Yeah, it's it is the hardest part. And even when I go to watch guys at other positions so this year we've got the quarterbacks as the main topic of discussion for the draft yep. and so I'll go and try and watch like Will Levis or I'll go and mm -hmm. try and watch Hendon Hooker and I'll end up like in Hendon Hooker's case I'll end up getting distracted by Darnell Wright playing right tackle every <laughs> yeah. time because he'll do something that I know is objectively awesome that no like the other day I saw a clip from I forget what game but he basically pushed off in a set and almost like a shot putter, he pushed off off his inside foot twice before his outside foot ever touched the ground. Yeah, I, was I think I saw that same clip, yeah. I was trying to explain to people, I was like, you'd never coach someone to do this. <laughs> yeah. It's not a technique that he was taught, I'm sure. It's just being that powerful and explosive, sometimes wild stuff happens. And like you said, I was never that guy. Lower body strength was not my bag, <laughs> so I don't have a world where that would have been me, but seeing him do something like that, to me, was way more interesting than watching Hendon Hooker do another RPO in that right. Tennessee <laughs> offense. And so yeah. it's always getting distracted by some large person doing something really incredible up front. Yeah, especially it's all it's always so fun to watch these young college guys play too because, you know, they're so – they're just freak athletes, talented, and, and these schemes aren't um, – you know, the, a lot of the schemes in college are a little more varied than what you see in the NFL, so it can be really fun. Did um, did you have, like, a favorite D tackle either when you were playing or now in the NFL that you liked watching? Oh, man, yeah. There, I mean, there's so many guys. I'm trying to think. Like, everyone kind of says the same guys. I, I loved Haloti Nada, um, and he was actually in Philly wearing the, the number 94 after I left, which was kind of cool, and I got to know him through um, – he was on the same uh, – Kilimanjaro water boys hike that I was on. Oh, so that yeah. was kind of special to see him. Cause he's a legendary nose guard his time in Baltimore. And, uh, you know, talk about someone who's so explosive for that size and how well he moves. And uh, it's just really impressive. So he, he was a guy that I always loved to watch. I'm trying to think of some of the, the older ones. Like when I was in high school, that's when Glenn Dorsey was popping off at LSU, yeah. you know, that's a little bit of a throwback. Um, uh, like I always love watching suit and Dominican Sue as well. It's, it's really fun when you, um, you know, you, you're in the NFL as a young player or something like that. And you kind of try to, you know, emulate some guys, take some moves from them or like learn from their game. And then you end up playing with them down the line or meeting them in some capacity and getting to know them personally is pretty rewarding experience. So, I mean, there's, there's so many more guys, but I always, you know, those are, those are a couple of my favorites. I'm always amazed watching Vita down in uh, down in uh, yep. Tampa. Like you talk about the freedom <laughs> to do certain things. I don't feel yeah. like like calling him a nose guard. It feels like unfair because he's basically whatever you need him to be, even right. at nose guard size. It's nuts. Yeah, he's a D lineman. I'll never forget. I got so after my time in Philly. You know, we we won the Super Bowl, and I was coming off a real high as a free agent. I signed in Tampa Bay, and then uh, you know I was going to be the nose guard. I was, pumped you know a lot of playing time incoming and then they drafted vita you know like top 10 or whatever and i'm yeah. just looking i'm like fuck my days are numbered man this guy's a freak <laughs> but that's that's how it goes man that's the uh, uh that's that's how it happens in the nfl you know they're always bringing in someone younger and better than you it's it's wild man it's it's always looking over your shoulder around there but <laughs> yeah. and especially when the guy is that yeah I mean, and he's he's a great guy he's a great player i still hang out with him a lot i'm down here in tampa now and um just you know one thing that's really rewarding too is just watching how far young players come and watching them develop and kind of i feel like there's always a period um you know some guys are plug and play where their rookie year they're just you know 
the moment they step on the field, like Micah Parsons or so, or someone like that. Yeah. Um, and Vito is a little bit of that physically. Like he was mauling dudes his rookie year, but there's something about, you know, after your rookie year, like some guys after their second year where it just clicks for them, you know? And so to watch guys develop um, is really, really rewarding thing. And so that was kind of what I experienced with Vita in, in Tampa Bay. It's been really fun to watch him, you know, come into his own as a player. When did it, uh, when did it click for you? Um, yeah. So I think it was, it's kind of hard. It was, um, so when I was drafted in Philly, I was a seventh round pick and I was, um, kind of, uh, drafted as like a two gapping nose guard and chip Kelly's old defense. And we were, you know, playing front side to backside a gap, which is something that I'd never done before. Um, so I learned under Jerry Azanero how to two gap my first two years. Um, but then it wasn't until, you know, Doug Peterson and Jim Schwartz, who's now in, um, Cleveland and he has a wide nine defense that once I got you know in that defense where it's a real you know you kind of turn your brain off and just get off the ball and get up the field it's a very very friendly scheme for um you know four down scheme for defensive linemen because you kind of you can go and uh it's real I'd never played in a scheme like that before uh kind of like that freedom like I was talking about earlier and I think that's kind of when it clicks so that would have been you know, fall of, of 2016, where I felt like really comfortable in the scheme and, you know, my role in the team, my role in the defense and uh, kind of had the, you know, there's a lot that you need to figure out um, in terms of preparation routine and how to play in the NFL when you're a young player. And I feel like that's kind of when it, when it clicked for me, it's like, you know what, there's you kind of the game slows down a little bit mentally and you feel comfortable and uh, it's a great feeling, man. That's, well, that's a good feeling with that. And I mean, like, from the other side, like on the O-line, that was always, to me, the harder one to stop of the two. So it's interesting that it marries like that because mm-hmm. your number one fear is a guy getting upfield and penetrating because yeah. run or pass, it makes everything and every part of your job so much harder versus, mm-hmm. you know, a two-gapper, like when you've got, you know, a big SOB in the middle who can stand you up and you're not really going to move him. You, know, right. you can at least work around him, especially if you're running a lot of wide or stretch stuff. But mm. the guys that get upfield, it makes everything so much harder. I always figured that would be just a lot, a lot more fun as a D lineman, yeah. even like a base level. <laughs> well, I did. I always love two gapping. Also, like playing zero tech on centers because they're so uncomfortable with it. Oh. Um, so I think those are kind of my favorite things because if you like, especially later in my career, two gapping when you have that savvy and you can kind of you know mess around with guys um, a little bit and you know, you can, you, you know, the scheme so well, like maybe you're in the same scheme for a couple of years and you know, the ins and outs, you know what to expect and can, you know, run fake game calls with your, you know, your D tackle buddies that you've played with a lot. But as far as, you know, my favorite schemes is just pure zero, uh, two gapping was definitely a lot of fun, uh, but it's just a grind in there. Like not yeah. a lot of payout for, for how much effort you're exerting. Whereas the, the four down gap penetration is awesome. Cause you, every rep you can go get it, you know, and you're every rep you just, I mean, in that scheme, you're just, you're focusing on getting off and getting up field. And then you kind of go from there. My uncle Bob always said it was like being a fire hydrant in a dog show. That's what he called it. So <laughs> exactly. Man. But exactly. you're, you are right is tremendously uncomfortable on the other side, having someone's face this far from you when you're trying mm-hmm. to focus on getting the ball back to the guy whose hands are in your nuts. So, yeah. And it's been interesting to watch the nose guard um, position, you know, how it's evolved or, you know, how it's changed over the years. Cause you know, teams aren't running the ball as much and some teams don't 
you know, value an early down guy as much, but there are still so many teams that run multiple fronts, odd fronts with different looks and, you know, having a guy that can stop the run in the, in the middle of your defense and kind of, you know, protect the middle of your defense is always going to be, uh, you know, an important part of the NFL. Well, and I think, cause, and I've heard, I know Andy Reid's talked about this publicly and I know it happens on offense. I assume some of it, some of it on defense is the same, but there's a lot of trickle up from college as far as some of the things schematically that end up making their way to the NFL. We've definitely yep. seen that on offense, but in the last few years, especially because Alabama and Georgia have made that mint stuff so popular mm-hmm. where you've got like a Jordan Davis in the middle, speaking of a guy who's yep. in Philly who can buy you an extra body in the pass game now. So yep. stopping the run becomes, I think, more important to have guys like that, guys you know, at the linebacker spot down the spine of that defense that can really go and take care of a couple of gaps for you. So now all of a sudden you've got guys to mess with some of the RPO stuff on the back end and put some of those passing windows at a little bit more of a premium. Yeah, no, absolutely. You said it, man. And the other thing, too, that I think uh, a lot of nose guards are undervalued is just the ability to, you know, kind of have a, you know, the uh, tip of the triangle in the pocket, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the, just to put it in easier terms, I guess someone that's going to be in front of the quarterback's face and, and push the pocket, that's always a val- valuable thing, man. I mean, you see guys like Tom Brader that are these pocket passers, not necessarily as mobile. Um they never want dudes right up in their face. Or if their center is kind of in their lap when they're trying to get rid of the ball after, you know, two, three seconds, it's it's a great thing. That's something Vita does so well is just make quarterbacks uncomfortable with, you know, two guys, you know, kind of right up in their grill. Yeah, it's I mean, it's crazy now, though, with that. And, like, for an interior guy, I'd imagine it's got to be really frustrating. One, how quick some of these guys get the ball out now, but also <laughs> yeah. having so many athletes at quarterback, too. Yeah, exactly. Trying to think of – you know, tackling Josh Allen in the pocket, he's got the Christ. you know the strength of Roethlisberger and the mobility of Cam Newton. Man, it's it's the worst of both worlds when you're trying to get a sack. You can't go low on him either because the Brady rule, and you go too high, you get a flag for you know getting up in his in his helmet. It's it's it can be it's tough to get sacks, man. Um, and so when guys like Aaron Donald get twenty a year, it's incredible. I don't know how they do. Freak show stuff, man. Absolute freak show stuff. Um, yo, how have you been? Uh, we uh, we haven't talked about much of the Wisconsin portion of things, but you guys got yeah. thick up there now. How is everyone yeah. feeling in Badgerland about the change? Um, so it's it's a little bittersweet for me because I just had you know Wisconsin is a bit of a program that's unaccustomed to change. Um, you know, on the coaching level, so uh, you know I love Coach Chris. He was there as a coordinator when I was there, and um, I think the world of him as a as a coach as a as a guy you know a friend a motivator he's the kind of guy who's you know he's a great guy and I had somebody in my you know my best friend college roommate um was on the strength staff at Wisconsin it was always so much fun to go back like I'd go back and train with him and train with the team um you know when I was a rookie and then towards the end of my career too like all the time and I loved it um and so it's kind of different now because I'm like damn I don't even really know anyone on staff and so it's, but it's very exciting too, cause he's a great coach. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of juice and energy around, um, you know, from what I've been seeing from spring ball. So I I'm excited to familiarize myself more with, with, uh, fickle and his staff and get to know those guys a little bit. And, you know, hopefully I can get in there and, and still fucking work out with the guys and stuff like that. Um, but I, I love Wisconsin. I think, you know, I think it was definitely a tough, a tough thing to get rid of coach Chris. Um, but you know, kind of speaking out both sides of my mouth really excited for for fickle too no i get it man it's it's tough and i i think 
it's one of those things selfishly as former players like I'm kind of in the same boat now this year where he and was my offensive line coach who just retired Tommy played quarterback with me and just left yep. for Alabama so I'm the same yeah. way I walk in there and outside of a couple of support staff members there's no one on the actual coaching staff that right. I was there with the strength staff's all different so it is you start to walk in and feel a little bit more like a stranger than you used yeah to. exactly and this is a place you know where you called home for so long that's such a you know, a part of your identity. So it's interesting to, you know, to watch them, uh, you know, watch the turnover, but that's, you know, that's the nature of, of coaching in college and the NFLs. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of turnover, but I think uh, really, really excited about Wisconsin. I think our spring game's coming up. Isn't Notre Dame's, I was talking with Kyle this morning. He said he's going to Notre Dame for the weekend for the spring game. Yeah, so he's calling it actually. So he's doing, oh uh, sick. He's doing broadcast stuff for NBC. He's going to do USFL games for them, and he got tapped to call the spring game too, which is going to be Sweet. wild. So yeah, he's yeah, getting in the booth for that, which is awesome. That's a big affair. I was I remember I was recruited by Notre Dame a little bit. I can't remember if I don't know if you were there at that time. Um, what year would that go, have been? That would have been two thousand nine. Yeah. So I was a, me and Rudy were sophomores that yeah. year. So okay. Yeah, I don't think I met you on my official visit, but I, I'm trying to think. I went up there and. Do you remember who your host was? It was uh, so Trevor Robinson was <laughs> was a roommate of the host. His name was Sean. He's oh, Swinar. Lineman from Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yeah. So uh, didn't end up going. To, they actually wanted to make me an O lineman at Notre Dame. Damn, and what could have been, man? I know, it, we it could have been right next to each other. It, it worked out. I mean, it would have been nice to hang out, but clearly life yeah. worked out all right for you, so I'm glad we didn't mess that Some up. Some alternate universe. I'm out there as a, a Notre Dame alum uh, playing like left guard or something, you know, well, <laughs> center maybe. <laughs> it, it's funny you mentioned Trev too because – I remember, so you and I had a mutual friend um, at Notre Dame who yep. ended up, uh, Maddie Mobby, who ended up, a bunch yep. of you guys came down to Notre Dame. We kind of ended up doing a home and home, and Trev and I yeah. came up for Mifflin, which, yeah, baby. How, how would you explain Mifflin to the uninitiated? I don't even know. Like, it's, 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 it's a block party, but what it really is is, you know, it's just a bunch of, I feel like for whatever reason, it always fell right in that little sweet spot right after, you know, spring ball was done with for football, yep. kind of before your finals were coming up. So it was a little bit of like unstructured free play, you know, which you don't get a lot of as a college football player. And then it, for whatever reason, like the stars aligned a couple of years where it was just like the first really, really beautiful day in Madison. And that was back in the, in the, heyday of Mifflin where like for some reason one year they I don't know if this was the year that you guys visited but they um they allowed like open beverages on Mifflin Street for Mifflin and uh it, it got pretty reckless but it's <laughs> I mean it's about a, as enthusiastic of a a day drinking block party in college as you'll ever see so I haven't been back to one um you know since I was you know, a college student, uh, you know, a student athlete in Madison. I'd love to go check it out again because it was always a blast, man. That was when we rolled up was after our spring game. We were all done with that. And I remember pulling in and I explained it to Notre Dame people because Notre Dame has pig tostal, which is the spring game weekend party with the um, swim team. And I said, it's like if you had pig tostal at every house 
on every street for four blocks on both sides of the road. And then it spilled into the bars after it was, I mean, Notre Dame's 8,500 undergrad. So we just have no idea the scale that you guys party on. But I remember pulling up with Trev and the first thing I saw was two guys out on their front lawn and they just had, they were playing rock, paper, scissors, shoot. And then the loser would just get slapped in the face by the winner every time. (laughs) It was two kids on their front yard just slapping the hell out of each other. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like you rolled up at the right time, man. You know, that's that's pretty much what it is. Oh my god, yeah, that was that was something else. Do you do you have a favorite Mifflin memory that you actually remember? That's a, one of I mean, this is post Mifflin, but I'll never forget. I think it was after the one I was talking about where you know, the, the something about I don't know what it was, but they let us kind of really go crazy with the open containers and stuff like that and we were in a team meeting. And this is when we had Brett Bielma as our head coach. Um, and he, and it was one of those team meetings where, like, we knew it wasn't going to be good because, like, a lot of guys got in trouble at Mifflin. And he goes, if you got a, if you got an underage at Mifflin, stand up. And there were, like, 10, oh. 10 to 12 sophomores uh, and freshmen that, you know, had to stand up. And, and he just goes, all right, we'll see you tomorrow at 5 a.m. Or no, and then he goes, if, and if you got, if you got, like, uh, you know, in trouble in any other way, stand up. It was like another five or six guys, you know, guys, I'm not talking about like anything crazy, just like, you know, uh, stuff that got back to the football program about, you know, just being a little too rambunctious on, on Mifflin. And, and so it was like probably like 20 guys. And he's like, all right, you guys see a 5 a.m. tomorrow. So you had to like roll. We, we used to get yep. in trouble punishment. You'd have to roll. So you had to go with your helmet on and you roll down the field and then they had to do like stadium stairs and or Stairmaster um and so like there was a big you know a lot of guys got in trouble uh that one but that it was just yeah. so funny because like he says stand up and you could just hear a pin drop in the room like so quiet and then <laughs> shame face stands up and we all know we were in for a tough week after that workout's gonna straighten out uh yeah i uh now that you say that i do remember when i rolled up i won't name names but there was a couple guys i was staying with who I had to wait a little while to get into the apartment because they were dealing with that portion of their day before they got back uh, and were able to let us in and and keep doing our thing. As as someone who got a minor intox while I was at Notre Dame and spent one night in St. Joseph's County, I understand how that goes. (laughs) I I remember for me, like I had to call, I was one of two football players. It was a lacrosse party that got broken up. And I remember Mm. I called coach, coach Weiss was there at the time and I called him the next day and I went into his office and you know, he was great about He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to treat you like I treat my son. And you know, there's going to be a punishment with this, but you're going to learn from this. And then we get into a team meeting the next day and all of a sudden me and the other guy, he has a stand up and airs us out in front of everybody to make yeah. a point. And I'm like, we just talked about this. I thought we yeah. were cool. And like, you know, yeah, hell, I, coach? <laughs> I get, I get what he had to do. Obviously me and coach Weiss are still really cool to this day, but I had two weeks of 5am workouts where our punishment was uh, up downs every five yards on the indoor field up and yep. back for a half hour there was days where you just had to pick the rubber pellets out of the ground and put them in a cup for a <laughs> yep. half hour so there is nothing yeah. like a college punishment workout man yeah we had some good ones too because we i mean we took our strength and conditioning very seriously as kind of a you know a big um you know thing for us at wisconsin a bunch of meatheads but like if you were late for example uh this I always thought was the funniest one. Like, you know how you have a couple guys that are always the problem in your position group. Oh yeah. And so what they would do, like if you're late the first time, you know, you get a punishment kind of like that. If you're late the second time, you have to pick a teammate in your position group 
And then they have to do like Stairmaster with like a weighted vest. Oh. And then they'll take a chair for like 45 minutes. They'll take a chair and sit you down with a big cup of Gatorade, give you a stool for your feet, make you look real comfortable while you watch your teammate do the Stairmaster, you know, as your punishment. And usually that's enough, yeah. you know? And I, I, I mean, I was never late because I was scared to death of of something like that but you you try to think like who you know who in my in my room would i assign that punishment to if if i had to and it's it's not a fun thing yeah there's a bad a bad game a bit of mental math that has to go on with that one that is (laughs) that i feel like every coaches get out of jail free card is that one in particular because they know it's gonna end up way worse for you on the backside too it's exactly not a fun twisted no not a great time (laughs) it's sick and twisted that's right (laughs) (laughs) great way to describe football in general uh, <laughs> yeah. Bo, this is awesome, man. Uh, appreciate you uh, giving us some time over here. Uh, everyone, make sure you check out Bo over on the Greenlight Pod, doing all that great stuff. And uh, we'll have to link up soon and get some rollerblading in, man. I think the streets yeah. need a collaboration here. Yeah, okay. absolutely, man. Well, maybe, uh, maybe out in California sometime. It'd be a fun, fun time. But yeah, thanks for having me, man. Always a pleasure. Boom! Money in the bank.